0: As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things.
1: If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
0: Erin Addison's
1: On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. Welcome to your Monday. We appreciate you letting us be a part of it. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B&J Mac are on tap to help us navigate the phone lines. I've got... Uh, What I think might be a little bit of an ambitious show planned. Um, Hopefully, hopefully we can get through all of all of the content. I do want to start with a bit of encouragement that I used earlier this week in um, our discussion with the kids. And hopefully that can lay the foundation for what we want to talk about today. Um, But before we do that, Will the Great, do we have any announcements or anything that we need to cover anything going on? I know that our date night uh, registration is, is over for that. Um, but then we also have a covenant challenge, we, by yes. design uh, yes. challenge. Yes, um, that we wanted to, yeah.
0: And also, if uh, you want to email us, email us at addisons at Addisons at And we do have a by design challenge that's going on right now. If you go to afa dot net slash by design, at the top of the page, when you uh, click on that um, that page link, you'll see the challenge for August. And it's a covenant challenge and it's simply uh, uh, a covenant that you can read and fill out a uh, sign with your spouse. You can you can print it out and just have it in your in your home, um, but also like fill it out and, and send that in. And we just uh, are really trying to encourage um, uh, husbands and wives uh, just to recommit themselves to their marriages. You know, yeah. and I know some people say, well, I don't need that to recommit. Well, that's that's. True, but this is just an outward show. Yeah, it's
1: just symbolic. Yeah. It's
0: symbolic, you know. There's, it's nothing uh, legally binding about this. You know, it's just, um, sim- it's symbolic. um I mean, this this covenant, you know.
1: I mean, what? We're not gonna file it, but <laughs> the Lord. Yeah, sees. I mean, for the Lord, you know, you know, you I don't want to lie. Or, you know, you, <laughs> no, you know, I'm kidding. Right? He he no, we're not gonna this, file it. it. But, yeah. That's yeah, right.
0: but the thing is, you I'm know, this, with and you. this kicks off our. um monthly uh challenges so this is the first of many to come and uh, we thought this would be a great way to start it off so if you go to afa.net slash by design you can find the uh the challenge for this month the covenant challenge and also you can check out some of the videos on there and some of the articles and things like that so check out afa.net slash by design
1: I like that you're saying that, afa.net slash by design. It helps us to remember, right? There you go. Um, So one of the things that um, I feel like I'm tasked with as a mom, and in particular as a mom who's um, educating her kids at home, I I feel the weight of making sure that my kids have the right understanding of the character and the nature of God, um, that they do everything from that kind of point of reference where – God has revealed himself to us. He wants us to know who he is mm-hmm. and he's not left us just kind of figuring it out and and making things up. Um, he has said who he is. And so one of the things that I'm often encouraging them to do is that as they read the scripture to make sure that what they do is draw out from the scripture, what God is saying and not read into the scriptures, right? Because mm. God has revealed himself. He wants to be known by us. Amen. I, I don't know if people understand that God is not, playing catch me if you can or discover me if you can. God wants to be known by us. In fact, if he did not, we would not know him. He is God, right? So the fact that we have knowledge of him, so much so the Bible says that man is without excuse, but the fact that we have knowledge of him is proof that God wants us to have that knowledge, right? And so when we go to the scriptures, um, we want to understand who God is. We're asking the first and foremost question, what is God telling us about himself? What is God revealing to us about himself? So um, as I've been studying in the book of Judges, I shared this with our family and I want to share it with you. And I believe it provides a great backdrop for our conversation today. And by the way, our conversation today is the church in the world, uh, anti-separatism and calls for prayer. Mm. The church in the world, anti-separatism, and calls for prayer. And so we're going to um, look at two two issues happening in two different parts of the world uh, that both require prayer. Yeah. Both require prayer. So uh, we're, we're going to talk about that. And, and this backdrop, I hope, will serve to uh, calibrate your prayers, hmm. to remember who we're talking to, uh, who we're praying to, who yeah. we're crying out to, and what his ability is. Yeah. All right. Don't let um, your sort of... Uh, normalization of prayer, like it just, you know, yeah, I talk to God. Don't don't let that familiarity breed a type of content, uh, contempt where you don't believe that God is able, that he's actually listening and that he responds to the cries of his people. So Mm -hmm. um, in an effort to reawaken you for who God is, I want to go to the scriptures, which is the best place for us to be reawakened to who God is. Right? So in the book of the judges, it's a quick background here. So we can understand. I try to do this with our kids and I encourage parents and grandparents to do this as well to really um, try to paint a picture so that your kids will understand that when you dive into the scripture, you've kind of tried to fill in some of the gaps, you know, if if you can. Um, So in the time of the judges. The Bible tells us very clearly that there was no king in Israel and um, men did whatever he thought men did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. All right? So there was basically chaos. In fact, there were roads, major roads that people couldn't travel on because it was just dangerous to do so. So people would take, you know, shortcuts and, and 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 back back ways, uh back roads because it was just dangerous to do it. But the the book of Judges outlines for us a cycle that would continue. Um this is about 300 to 400 years uh, between the death of Joshua and his contemporaries, so the jo- Joshua and the elders that lived at his time mm-hmm. after their death, and then um, the rise of Israel's uh, first prophet, Samuel. Okay, yeah. so this is a period of about 300, 400 years. I want you to just imagine this, right? Where there is this continuous cycle. Guys, I'm not making it up. You can go read it for yourselves. It's a continuous cycle of the people of God rebelling against God, God judging them and handing them over to their enemies. You see the active hand of God's judgment, God handing them over to their enemies. All right. Then they cry out because they are so severely oppressed. They can't take it anymore. And then God rescues them. Mm. They enjoy a period of peace. Then they fall away again. (laughs) They, They go back into their own ways. And so then God judges them, hands them over to their enemies. Okay. Um, and they are repressed for a period of time. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord comes to their aid. I could do the cycle again, but this is what you read all throughout the book of Judges, and and the book of Judges actually houses some of our um some of our most famous characters from the Bible that we don't understand even the context that they're set in. So like Gideon and Samson, right? Uh, Deborah. Um, this is their time mm-hmm. where the Lord would raise them up at specific times. Um, To rescue Israel and then Israel would enjoy peace for a time and then rebel again. So at the particular time that I want to share today, I want to I want to talk about the Lord and his might and how we cry out to the Lord and the Lord actually fights for us. And, mm-hmm. and I think we have forgotten that the God we serve actually fights for us because of modern invention, because of even sometimes our own intellect. We know That, yes, we serve the God who fights for us, but we don't think that, you know, God really literally fights for us. And so there's an interesting um, account in the book of Judges in Judges chapter four, where we meet Deborah and we meet Barak, who is the general leading the army of Israel, if you will. And God gives um, Deborah a word, no, like a real one. God gives Deborah (laughs) a word. And she summons for Barack and she's like, she's like, God is going to give your enemies over to you. This is the day it's come. You've got to go. And let me read to you and then I'll summarize a little bit and then pick up with a little more reading. And I'm only doing this in the interest of time. If we had more time. Um, I would read all of it because I think that's the problem in the church today, that, that we we have a deficit as it comes as it pertains to reading the word of God. So I'm going to pick up with uh, chapter four and then summarize and then skip over to chapter chapter five. All right. So here I am. I'm reading in Judges, chapter four. And this, again, is a picture of the cycle that you can even kind of get a glimpse of this as we pick up here. OK. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. Um. This word sold literally means sold Mm. like it it literally means handed over. The implication there is that what could await the person who is sold or handed over is death. So the scripture here says, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth, Hegoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Here's the cycle. You can see it just in this particular passage. Right. But this is replicated all throughout the judges. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, (laughs) for he had 900 chariots of iron and Mm. he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Okay, so why does the Bible let us know that Sisera's army um, in his service under King Jabin, uh, that he had 900 chariots of iron? Because what the Bible wants you to understand is that no one can stand against them. (laughs) They've got 900 chariots of iron. What this is the equivalent to, this is cutting edge military technology. Mm -hmm. I want you to understand something. And the Bible lets us know this. Not only does Israel not have iron or chariots, but they don't even have blacksmiths. So they don't even have the type of military might that could come close to competing against Jabin or Sisera, his general. So it's going to have to be the Lord, right? And of course, God knows this. Um, I am so glad that we serve the God who not only allows, but stacks the odds against himself so that he can come through. And there's no question that he did it right. Mm. Like this is the God that we serve. So picking up with uh, verse four, Judges chapter four, this is now verse four. Now, Deborah a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, I don't know if I'm saying that right, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came to her for judgment. By the way, she's the only, as far as the judges record, she is the only judge that the Lord God raised up that actually used to judge for the people. (laughs) The other judges were raised up and they delivered them. Deborah actually did both judged for the people was a part of the deliverance that the Lord sent. So so the people would come to her for judgment. And verse six, it says this. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Neftali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Neftali and the people of Zebulun? And I now this is the Lord speaking through Deborah. So the I here is the Lord saying this, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. Watch this. And I will give him into your hand. So Deborah is telling Barak that it is time. The Lord has seen fit to um, set us free from the oppression Mm -hmm. of the Canaanite king, Jabin. um, And he's going to do it. I am going to deliver you. Now, something really interesting happens there. Barack uh, is like, okay, I'm going to go, but Deborah, can you come with me? And Deborah says, okay, yes, I will go with you, but just know that this will not lead to any glory for you because the glory is going to go to a woman, right? Like the the a woman is going to bring about this victory. Now, it's interesting because as you're reading that, you almost think that Deborah's talking about herself, but she's not talking about herself because Mm -hmm. as the story progresses, there is a woman named Mm Jael. But before we get to Jael, we have to see the hand of the Lord in delivering his people. So you've got Sisera, the general, who is leading his 900 chariots of iron. And the Bible says that the Lord routed Sisera. This word routed, the Hebrew word actually means confused. Mm. So the Lord stepped in and confused this army that on its own, it would have creamed Israel. It would have creamed these people like they didn't stand a chance. Right. But the Bible says that the Lord routed Sisera's army. Then Sisera gets down off of his chariot and he runs on foot. OK, Barak is chasing him, but then he loses him. Well, you know who finds him? A woman named JL mm-hmm. who says, hey, come over here. So Cicero is tired. He needs a place to rest. So he goes into her tent and then he asks for water. She gives him milk. A sedative. Anyway, she gives him milk. And he lies down to rest, covering him with the blanket. He tells her, if anybody comes looking for me, tell them that I'm not here. If they ask if someone's, if I'm here, you say no. She's like, rest, just rest. And then the Bible records that when he's asleep, she grabs her tent peg and her hammer and drives it through his temple in one side out the other into the ground. Now guys, when we get back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about the spiritual implications of the God who fights for his people. And may we never forget it. This is Aaron the Addisons American Family Radio. Stay right there. Right. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Man, I wanted to be done with the setup so the foundation was laid for the discussion and <laughs> nah, I wanted to come back and go into the discussion. Okay, so let's continue with the setup. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I'm Miki.
0: And I'm Will, and as an ambassador with Nothing Like Us.
1: Jay Mack and Sherry B are on tap. We're going to open the phone lines up in the last segment, get your take on what we're discussing. But we're looking, our eyes are on the church, the church and the world, and just a few, a couple, um, I guess, topics of news headlines, if we can... Um, consolidate that really kind of grabbed our attention one of them we talked about over the weekend and the other I wanted to toss in uh, because Will the Great said man these are our people and they're calling for prayer and so I thought man let's let's mention it to the church at large and Mm -hmm. and talk about that so that's the topic today the church in the world anti-separatism and calls for prayer but before we got into the stories I wanted to make sure that we had the right view and the proper estimation of the Lord who Mm -hmm. is he what, what, what does it do when God's people cry out to him, even when it seems impossible, what we're asking? What, what does it look like? You know, can God, does God still do the impossible? Absolutely, he does. Uh, unfortunately, many of us don't expect that. We pray prayers because we feel like, you know, they're just kind of obligatory. Like, well, um, okay, I, I guess I should pray. But we really don't acknowledge who we're praying to. Or what he's able to do, and the Lord has left for us His track record. He wants us to know who He is, and this is what we've been reminding our kids: um, that it's it's bleak in the world, but we serve um, the supreme one. Mm. Like, there's no one greater than Him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, words escape you to try to describe to to try to describe how big God is, mm. especially when you're talking to kids. But I think even for us as adults, um, it's good for us to be reminded. So before the break, we were um, we were looking at judge, judges, and you've got Barak and Deborah. They go to battle against the king of Canaan, Jabin, and his military leader Sisera, his general Sisera. Um, the Lord routs them down to the Kishon River, and um, there at the river, God does something incredible. We're not exactly sure what God does. But we know that God alone is to be glorified because he confuses this army of 900 chariots mm. of iron. The Bible is very specific. It wants you to know <laughs> that, right? So he confuses this, this military power, and then the general um, gets out of his chariot, gets down off his chariot, and is running on foot. Barack is chasing him, um, and then there is Jael, who knows how she's got a, a tent peg and a hammer. Right. It's like, but I have a pin. She's got a tent peg and she's got a hammer. And she's like, hey, come here. You know, like I can like gives gives Cicero refuge inside the tent. And then that's where he meets his demise. And then and this is the part where, again, the Bible does not want you to be left with any type of question as to who rescued the people of Israel. Mm hmm. Because Deborah and Barack in chapter five sing this song. It's it's a song that's very similar to like Miriam's song. It's like they sing this song that is a retelling of the events that have happened. It amazing. is a retelling. Of, it's
0: it's, <laughs> it's like the first duet.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's, it, man, it's true. It's amazing though, right? So, so I don't know who got which parts, but um, I imagine the part where Deborah sings and I, Deborah. I imagine <laughs> yeah, that that was definitely yeah, yeah, her, I right? Think so. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so here they are in chapter five. Guys, this is fascinating. I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to encourage your children and your grandchildren with it. Maybe the tent part might be a little bit gory. Um, I found that my kids were more fascinated by it than they were <laughs> weirded out by it. Um, but look, in, in Judges chapter five, let me read this, because this is the song of Deborah and Barak, where they are talking about what the Lord has mm-hmm. done, because basically with Sisera overtaken, then it's nothing for them to overtake Jabin. And then the, Canaan, uh, the Canaanite kingdom basically falls. And so mm-hmm. Israel is, is saved. OK, that's that's the bottom line. But this is what they say in their song. They say the kings came. They fought, then fought the kings of Canaan. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. Now, listen to This This is verse 20, guys. From heaven, the stars fought. Hmm. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. And then it's like there is this breakout praise. It's like a praise break in the middle of this song (laughs) because it's either Deborah or Barack. I don't know which one is singing at this point. But but then someone says Deborah Barack march on my soul with might. Mm. What happened? What they are retelling is that you have this army of 900 chariots of iron Mm Mm-hmm. The Lord routes them down to the river Kishon, because he's going to do business with them there. Remember, if you go back and read the story, I'm saying remember, but this assumes that you've read the story before. Where Barak originally gathered was at Mount Tabor. Okay, so Deborah told him, gather your 10,000 people. um, These two tribes go to Mount Tabor. When the general Sisera, when King Jabin heard that Barak was gathering at Mount Tabor, they go to meet them there. But the Lord routes them down to the Kishon River. Why? Because that's where he wants to do business with them.
2: Mm.
1: That's, that's where God is going to use the elements that he made Come on. to do business with his enemies. Mm. And so, man, it, guys, it blows my mind. So they get here <laughs> and we're not exactly sure what happened. But we can piece these stories together from chapter four to chapter five with Deborah and Barack's song. And we know that God did something in the heavens and he did something with the water.
2: Mm.
1: Now, what we don't know, and again, this is where you want to use proper exegesis. You want to draw out from the scriptures what the word of God is saying. You don't want to eisegete, which means to read in or to put in what you think the scriptures are saying. But I do know that there's some question and you, you can ask, you know, what exactly does it mean when it says from heaven? The stars fought from their courses. They fought against Sisera. We don't know if the sun did something. We we don't know what the, the elements of heaven did. We don't know if the stars become sort of like symbolic of the angels coming to war. We don't know. But what we do know is this. it so confused these 900 chariots and these <laughs> fighters that they lost that day. Mm. That Sisera, Sisera deserted his army and ran. Come on. Say coward, everybody. That's our word for today. (laughs) Sisera deserted his army. No man left behind. No, every man left behind. He got off on foot and ran. And what poetic justice, right, that this man who's supposed to be like the general, he gets off on foot, he runs, and and God delivers him into the hand of a woman (laughs) who is, you know, skilled at setting up a tent. She's got a peg and a hammer, and he lies down to rest, and she drives it through his temples, Mm. and God delivers his people. Now, Miki, why are you saying all of that? I'm saying all of that because in the world today, the church can appear to be like those people outnumbered. You know, um, I don't know how you would say that somebody has better technology than you than you have. You say out technologized. I don't know. They just had better stuff. Right. You don't even have blacksmiths. The Bible elsewhere tells us that that they didn't even have blacksmiths. Mm -hmm. Right. That they had been so oppressed they weren't even allowed to have blacksmiths. Um, But what what does God do? God wants to glorify himself. So in the world today, we pray and we cry out to the Lord, even when the odds seem stacked against us. And we believe that he is who he says he is. Yeah. And that from of old, he has come to the aid of his people. And and guess what? He doesn't need systems or government to do that. He doesn't need systems or government to do that. So having said all of that, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about what's going on in France. And then I want to talk about what is going on with our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and how pastors are are calling for prayer they're asking Mm -hmm. for the church to pray in order for you to understand what's going on in France I'm going to have to back up just a little bit here to last year when the conversation first started I want to point out some important information that I think will um, help us to navigate exactly what's going on and how it affects the church Um, because remember we have one body yeah one body so when our brothers and sisters are suffering in the world we are suffering that's right it's not their problem it is our problem So if you go back to October of last year, October of last year, um, French President Emmanuel Macron announced that they would be combating Islamic separatism. Now, that's important because a lot of times people will hear things like that and they're like, well, that's good. (laughs) But we also have to make sure that we follow the unintended consequences of um, of uh, robbing people of their individual liberties. And, And anyway, so here we go. French President Emmanuel Macron announced this is last year in October um, that they were going to be, that the French government was going to be combating Islamic separatism. Among the measures that they were taking to combat Islamic separatism were measures that were aimed at restricting homeschooling. (laughs) And as they saw it, the Islamic practices that often result in the creation of a counter society. Mm. Now, Although this article says, and by the way, this is an article from CNS News, which is a division of the Media Research Center. Although the speech was aimed at Islamic sectarianism, many critics saw it as also targeting Christian parents who educate their children outside France's public school system. Well, yeah.
0: Yep. Everybody's affected.
1: Because in France, you've got about 50,000 homeschoolers. Mm -hmm that are made up of Catholics, Protestants, and even atheists. Mm-hmm. So of the 50,000, you know, you've got to ask the question, what percentage of them are Muslims and, and what, what percentage of them are being trained for jihad? Because this is the thing, right? They they use this one example where they found um a group of school kids, Muslim school kids, who were in a small room, um, with barely any windows, right, like a, a, a one-room type deal where you had women in hijabs who were training the kids um, in what the French government said was radical Islam. Mm. So they have used that. And then other things that have happened. I mean, yeah. you know, they look, the French people have endured a lot under the hands of radical Islamists, mm-hmm. like they just have. And so what they're doing, the French government is moving to combat that. But the way they combat that is really interesting. And I think a warning for the people of God um, around the world, but especially for us in the United States of America. So let me continue with this article here. In his speech, Macron stressed that secularism is the cement of the united France. Secularism is the cement of the united France. As the French government website states, the freedom to practice religion has been recognized since 1905, when the law of the separation of the church and state came into effect. <laughs> However, this is what French president Emmanuel Macron said last year, quote, far from being a weapon against religion. This text returned all religions to the private sector and established state secularism in the public sphere. The French state does not favor any one religion and guarantees their peaceful coexistence in respect of the laws and principles of the republic. Now, listen. Macron said that their challenge was to, quote, fight against those who go off the rails in the name of religion.
0: Mm. So okay. who makes that who who's, who makes who, that who, decision of what's who going off the, the rails, rails? Right. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. That is always the question. Who builds the rails? Let me read this other thing here because I'm looking at the time and, I, and I, I'm like, man, there's so much more that I want to kind of delve into. But I know that we're going to run out of time. There is something that Macron said last year that I think should ripple all around the world. Right. This understanding about our education system. Um, again, not just the French education system, but I want us to think in terms of what countries often mimic kind of taking cues from one another. Here is what um, Macron said last year. He said, quote, school is the Republican melting pot. It's what makes it possible for us to protect our children in a complete way from any religious sign from religion. Hmm. It is truly the heart of the space of secularism. And it is this place where we form consciences so that children become free Rational citizens able to choose their own lives. The school is therefore our collective treasure. Hmm. It is what allows us in our society to build this common thing. That is the Republic. Now listen, what is he saying? He's saying the school is the indoctrination camp.
0: Mm-hmm. So everybody needs to be there. Everybody needs Everyone
1: to be there. Everyone has to pass through this. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward. And I want to shift to an article here today that covers, um, where the French people actually are. Um, I think of the missionaries. I think of the Mm -hmm. believers who were educating their kids at home that um, France has passed this bill, right? Last year they were talking about it. Mm -hmm. It was working its way through their government, but France has passed this bill. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters who have and will continue even under threat of punishment, to educate their kids at home. Here's a current news story. The National Assembly passed the bill last month, the one that I just talked to you about, uh, despite strong criticism from both rightists and leftist lawmakers. The government says the legislation is meant to bolster France's secular system, <laughs> but critics say it limits religious freedom and marginalizes Muslims. Yeah, it does. It, I mean, it actually it actually does both both of those things. The bill has been criticized for targeting France's Muslim community at some 3.3 million, the largest in Europe, and imposing restrictions on many aspects of its members' lives. The law allows officials The law allows officials to intervene in mosques and associations responsible for their administration, as well as control the finances of associations and non-government organizations belonging to Muslims, but it also restricts the educational choices of Muslims. By making homeschooling subject to official permission. What this article does not point out, as it is a secular article, is that this also restricts the freedom of Christians to educate their kids at home.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Now, whenever um whenever the government takes over, they always overreach. Hmm. I'm all in favor of protecting citizens and protecting your country. This is this is the right thing for France to do in as much as they're saying we have to protect our citizens. But it is the wrong thing for France to do in as much as they are taking away the freedoms and the liberties of their citizens. Mm. So then the question becomes, is there a better way for France to respond? Well, I think so, but I don't think they want to put in that work. And, and here's why. Because we've all been tasked with considering our individual biases. Yeah. So now you can't call a spade a spade. You just have to make sweeping legislation cutting off everyone's liberties. We'll grab the break and be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. I'm Miki.
0: And I'm Will Ness Crowder with Good God Almighty.
1: Appreciate Sherry B. and J-Mac on tap helping us navigate the show. We're going to open the phone lines in just a little bit. I Man, I, I don't want to rush this, but I and maybe I'll save it um, and, and add it to an additional show here. Um, but we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. I know that the national news story, to us, you know, we look at the political implications and and, and we look at the military implications and, and all mm-hmm. of those things are important to look at. Um, but I, I hope that our listeners can um, retrain. I hope that we all can retrain mm-hmm. ourselves to first look at the spiritual implications of what is covered in national news and international news. And then also um, feel a deep uh, longing to come to the aid of our brothers and sisters who might be suffering mm-hmm. in other parts of the world. Um, here is a story. This is from... Um, American Family News, which by the way, you can go to afn.net and check out American Family News's new website. Pretty neat, pretty neat. Uh, Chaos as thousands flee Afghanistan after Taliban takeover. Just incredible. The Taliban swept into Kabul on Sunday after President Ashraf Ghani fled the country, bringing a stunning end to a two decade campaign in which the U.S. and its allies had tried to transform Afghanistan. The country's Western trained security forces collapsed or fled in the face of insurgent offensive of an insurgent offensive that tore through the country in just over a week ahead of the planned withdrawal of the last American troops at the end of the month. I, I just want to describe just a little bit more to you here and then I want to turn to an article that will the Great sent me from nine marks um, the church building. Um, Website That helps pastors. So but back to this article here in the capital, a tense calm set in with most people hiding in their homes as the Taliban deployed fighters at major intersections. There were scattered reports of looting and armed men knocking on doors and gates, and there was less traffic than usual on eerily quiet streets. Fighters could be seen searching vehicles at one of the city's main squares. Many fear chaos after the Taliban freed thousands of prisoners and the police simply uh, melted away or a return to a kind of brutal rule that the Taliban imposed when it was last in power. They raced to Kabul's airport where the civilian side was closed until further notice, according to Afghanistan's Civil Aviation Authority. The military was put in control of the airspace. Videos circulating on social media showed hundreds of people running across the tarmac as U.S. soldiers fired warning shots in the air. Hmm. One showed a crowd pushing and shoving its way up a staircase, trying to board a plane with some people hanging off the railings. In another video, hundreds of people could be seen running alongside a U.S. Air Force transport plane as it moved down a runway. Some climbed onto the side of the jet just before takeoff. That raised questions about how much longer aircraft would be able to safely take off and land. Um, Afghanistan is in trouble. Women In Afghanistan are in trouble. Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are in trouble and pastors are calling for prayer. And I want to share this information and then we can start getting the phone lines queued up. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. You can comment on anything that we're talking about today. We're looking at the church in the world, anti-separatism and calls for prayer. A pastor by the name of Josh Manley writing for Nine Marks. He actually pastors in the United Arab Emirates and he writes this. Remember those who are in prison. He's quoting Hebrews thirteen three: Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Mm. And then he goes into the story. <laughs> As Taliban forces have swallowed up Afghanistan and even now the capital city of Kabul, pastors and the country have been emailing and messaging me over the last few days, even hours anxious for prayer. Pastoring just a short flight away in the United Arab Emirates, I have had the opportunity to build partnerships with these men over the last decade. One house church leader sent me a picture of the small room he was hiding in with his family. See, guys, these are the stories that we're not going to get from the the national news headlines. Right. We're not going to be invited to share in the sufferings of our brothers and sisters. So these are the kinds of things that we're going to have to dig and mine out for ourselves and then go to the Lord in prayer over these things. This pastor who sent this picture to Pastor Josh Manley over in the UAE, this is what he said, quote, this is where I am living. We are hiding right now. We are hidden in different areas. Another pastor wrote, quote, we can't go out like normal. It's dangerous. We moved to one of my friend's houses, but it's not safe at all. Hmm. Listen, our brothers and sisters are suffering. They are in real danger, not supposed danger. They are in real danger and we need to pray for them. What I found amazing was our brother, Josh Manley, uh, over in the UAE, his specific prayer points that he offered that we yeah. could consider yeah. as we pray. Right. Because sometimes we forget. Right. We forget. Yeah. um like what's supposed to be our focus, you know? Like what? How are we, in fact, supposed to be praying? Well, did you want to? Did you want to go through these prayer points? I know you were agreeing, and you sent this article to me. If you don't have it up in front of you, I can just go through them. Yeah, but I but I, I
0: remember, you know, some of the points. And some yeah. of that, some of them that stuck out to me really was one way says, pray that we that our faith would be strengthened. Yes. And you think, and you know, if you, you place yourself in those positions, thinking about your, you know, you're you're trying to hide your family. You're trying to hide from, you know, impending danger. Yes. You know, and yes. you know, the call will be there to like renounce your fate. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so they're praying that their fate will be strong. You know, they are praying for, for finances, you know, there's, yes. there's no banks and, and they can't get any money. They can't in, get money. Yeah. Out,
1: man.
0: Yeah. I mean, the yeah. situ- situation is dire. You know, they were praying, some were praying for um, passports to get out, like ways to get out that. Yep. And, but one you know, saying that the gospel was spread, amen, <laughs> that the gospel was spread, <laughs> you know. So in the midst of all of this, you know, they're praying that that souls will be one. And I think about what we hear happening in Iran and different places where, you know, people are getting visions of Jesus and things are like God is able to to save some of these Taliban members. You know, God mm-hmm. is able to do so, you know, but we do need to pray for the protection of our, our family members there. Yes. They are our literal yes. family. That's and, right. you know, we all share the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the same father, you know, if we're in Christ. And so we should take this seriously as if we're praying for our family because we really are, you Amen. know. And I'm reminded about when Peter was in prison.
3: Oh, come on.
0: Peter was in prison, you know, it had pleased the Jews that, you know, James uh, was, was killed by the sword. Mm-hmm. And so Herod was keeping Peter in the prison because he wanted to do the same to him. But the Bible said, but the, the church was praying fervently for Peter. Amen. And I think that's, that should be where we are as well. Like when we hear these things, when we hear about what's going on in Nigeria and, mm-hmm. and North Korea, you know, and, and, and Afghanistan and places like this, mm-hmm. man, the church, the, the body of Christ should be praying fervently for these believers.
1: Amen and so you know, that's
0: our that's our call,
1: you know, I was thinking about something that you said even yesterday, um as you were ministering, you know we are we are human, and the Lord considers how we are made, right mm. uh and so even in our prayers, we don't know exactly how to pray. that's why the mm. Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us. Right. That we can ask the Lord to give us prayer, to lead us in how to pray. And one of the things I think that we often do is when we don't know how to pray, we may be limited in even what we can expect or ask of God. Yeah. And the, the best way to be recalibrated, I would say, is to go back to the word of God and to remember that the Lord does incredible things. Amen. He does incredible things, things that we don't even think to ask. He does. But let us be found going to him. Um, Again, you can comment on anything that we're talking about today. We're going to go to the phone lines, 888-589-8840. We're talking about the church and the world, um, what's going on in France and how this is going to affect the body of Christ, who um, were educating their kids at home, and then also what's going on in Afghanistan, looking just a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. than the national headlines and asking what the spiritual implications are of what's happening in the news. Uh, 888-589-8840. Um, Will the Great, where do we go first?
0: All right, let's go to Jerry in Mississippi. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Will and Mika. How are you all doing?
1: Doing great. Hello.
0: Yes, I just want to comment on everything that's going on, all the chaos and disorder and everything happening throughout the world. And I think it's like another moment of what happened in Nineveh when Jonah told the people that God was going to destroy Nineveh in 40 days and how they repented and went down Mm. in sackcloth and ashes and I think the very same thing needs to be done in America. Mm. We need to follow our knees and repent before God. Mm. And this is the only thing I know of that's going to be the solution to whatever is going on.
1: Mm. Mm. Amen. Jerry, listen, thank you so much for, for what you just said. I, I agree with you. And I believe that. And I'm going to tell you, and it could be because I'm, I'm specifically reading in the Judges, you know, the book of Judges. But, man, you see this over and over again, a people who do not deserve it. Mm. A people who have behaved wickedly and as Will often says, with a high hand yeah. before the Lord. And yet the Lord steps in, comes to their aid and rescues them. They don't deserve it. But the thing that they did was repent. Mm-hmm. They saw their desperate need. They recognized that what they were facing was the result of their own doing. Yes. So I'm going to I'm going to say this. You know, we have to in America get to the place where we recognize that where we are is our own doing and mm. not thinking that, you know, it's them over there. It's it's those people. It, it's got to be the point where we say, Lord, God, we have turned away from you. We have rebelled. We deserve what we're getting. But have mercy, Lord. Amen. And when when you read in the scriptures, you see the people of God doing this. You see God coming to their aid, even even as you read the accounts that prove they didn't deserve it. Yeah. All right. Well, the great let's go back to the phone lines. Where do we go?
0: Let's go to Linda in Texas. Hi, Linda
3: hi how are you guys this afternoon hello i just got back in my car from uh an errand, and i caught on to what you were saying and i i have a comment from a very worried heart not just from what the news is or is not saying about what's going on in afghanistan or anywhere else in the world where Satan's hand is so obviously moving, but my mom was in Iran when the Shah was overtaken by Khomeini, Mm. and she was on the very last plane, and I mean the last plane that got out of there, Mm. and had it not been for a very precious Iranian lady and my mother called her an angel, and she was. She took her own life in her hand by going and getting my mom and running her through underground ways to get to the American plane. <laughs> to get her on that plane, to get out of there. And I know what those people go through because mm-hmm. I have every letter that my mother ever wrote me. Wow. And it is so much harder to imagine. than mm-hmm. even if our news was telling everything they could tell, mm-hmm. you can't imagine. You just can't imagine. And they were in there. <laughs> she was in her night clothes when, Zanat was her name and if anywhere in this world people hear her name I hope they tell her I still love her and pray for her.
1: Wow wow Linda that is incredible thank you so much for sharing that I man, I'm telling you and I and I think to the point that Linda is making is that we really have no idea it's difficult for us to conceptualize the type of terror that people are facing right now in real time. Mm. real terror yeah all right well the great let's see if we can squeeze in maybe one or two more calls
0: all right let's go to Lori in Iowa hi Lori
1: hi thank you for taking my call I'm a teacher and I just wanted to
2: comment on the homeschooling situation Mm -hmm. Um, each government school gets approximately eight thousand dollars per child so if parents would take their children out and um, it will hurt it will money talks and um I homeschooled my kids, um, I'm 74, so it was a long time ago, but um, when it was still illegal, mm-hmm. and um, all of my grandkids have been homeschooled, and you have to make sure that you don't enroll them part-time, like for sports and for art and music, because then they still get money. Um, mm. I don't know about anybody else, but here at, at my church, we are just booming with homeschoolers and even more um are pulling their kids out after Mm -hmm. this this disaster year it's just so important that um even if you work i I was a working mom and Mm -hmm. my kids were homeschooled and you uh my great grandson's going to be homeschooled this year his mom has arranged with other neighborhood moms so you you can do it even if you are a working parent
1: come on laurie
2: you know, to homeschool your kids. I just encourage everyone. Money will talk. And um,
1: yeah, take your kids out of school. Laurie, thank you so much. I I really do appreciate your call. And I really super appreciate your encouragement. And and look, the very practical challenge that what we want to do, what we are desperate to do, we find the ways to do. Um, I'm a working mom. Lori, you just heard it from Lori, a working mom, her daughter, a working mom. Listen, guys, when you don't have any other options, right, you you just have to do. The question comes down to what, what type of kid do you want on the other side of his or her education? I really think that's the question. And I think all around the world, we're seeing that people understand that homeschooling is really, truly a threat. All right. Maybe more on this. We're out of time. Until tomorrow. Lord willing.
0: God bless.